Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, here with the third and final part of our discussion of Elon Musk's countersuit against Twitter, more specifically, Twitter's answer to Elon Musk's countersuit. Now, if that sounds like a lot to remember, part three of a 20 video series. Well, we've got that all retained for you in a separate playlist. Elon Musk versus Twitter, the current title of this playlist. You can catch up on anything and everything that you want to with respect to this particular legal tussle. Just know for now that we are currently aimed at an actual trial sometime in mid-October in the Delaware Court of Chancery. I have my doubts we'll actually get to the trial level because for the most part, deals like this settle. Prices are changed. People walk away. Things are figured out. But certainly in the documentation that we have right this second, Twitter and Elon Musk are very, very angry at each other. Now, before we get to the specifics of Twitter's response to Elon's counter lawsuit, I do want to mention to folks that this is a Patreon, Utreon, YouTube membership supported channel. We can't do it without viewers and subscribers like you. If you're interested in supporting the channel, please do check out those platforms. And I want to thank especially today, Lady Emily for sponsoring our videos here. Those tiers on Utreon and Patreon do allow you to sponsor a given video in a given month. And Lady Emily is sponsoring this particular video. Thank you so much, Lady Emily, and to all of you who helped make this channel possible. I also want to give a shout out to Axios, who put up an article entitled Twitter Slams Elon Musk's Response to Its Lawsuit which is in fact what a litigation party is supposed to do to someone else's litigation documents. I also want to note kind of funnily here that on August 4th, 2022, this article is written. You might remember, and God love you if you do, that the actual public version of Elon Musk's countersuit was only released on August 5th of 2022, just a few days ago. The response to the original lawsuit from Elon Musk was actually released earlier due to some vagaries about what should be redacted, what should be made public, et cetera, et cetera. So we're all kind of going a little bit backwards, which is what Twitter's accused of by Elon Musk and frankly, what Elon Musk is accused of uh, by Twitter. So I wanted to say thank Axios because I always like to thank the outlets that link to the actual legal documents. Thank you so much, Axios, because that's what allows us to dive into 127 pages of Twitter answering somewhat snarkily. Now, if you did watch part two of this series with us yesterday as we posted it, you know that for the most part, Elon Musk chose to answer Twitter's lawsuit against him pretty generically. Hey, we think these are legal conclusions. We don't have to answer any of these. If you think we need to answer any of these, we deny everything that could possibly be alleged in this section. And we refer you to any of the documents that are otherwise quoted. You will see some of those answers here in Twitter's responses to Elon Musk's countersuit. We're not going to go through all of them. We don't want this video to last six hours long. But outside of those limited chances for them to respond generically, Twitter actually takes up their answer document to debate these issues a little bit. So this is going to be a little bit more exciting uh, than what Elon Musk put together for us yesterday. I do want to point out we're going to be skipping a lot of the answers if they just say denied or if they're otherwise generic. Hey, we note that you're quoting something. We refer the court to check out the primary source material there. But we're going to get a lot more substance. So let's take a look. First of all, Twitter blesses us with an introduction. They want to frame for us exactly how we should be feeling about Elon Musk by the time they get to answering all of the different paragraphs that he's included in his countersuit. And what they would like the court to think of Elon Musk is not very much. 
Musk begins his answer to Twitter's claims for breach of their merger agreement with more than 90 pages of counterclaims. According to Musk, he, the billionaire founder of multiple companies advised by Wall Street bankers and lawyers, was hoodwinked by Twitter into signing a $44 billion merger agreement. That story is as implausible and contrary to fact as it sounds, and it is just that, a story imagined in an effort to escape a merger agreement that Musk no longer found attractive once the stock market, and along with it, his massive personal wealth, declined in value. So let's take a pause here. Uh, here we have Twitter acting rhetorically. These are the kinds of sections that we expect to be quoted in the Axioses and Gizmodos of the world. And indeed, they wind up doing so with headlines like Twitter obliterates Elon Musk that I have called to task in this very space. But they are saying some important things. They're setting the framework. Elon Musk, your honor, is a sophisticated party. He might be the most sophisticated party on earth. Do you really believe that little old Twitter fooled him into signing a document he didn't want to sign? And the answer to that is probably not as convincing for Twitter as they might like it to be. I think Elon Musk is a very sophisticated party. I have my questions as to what he's presenting in both his answers and his counter lawsuit, but Twitter is no spring chicken either. Twitter is backed by some of the biggest private equity and venture capital firms in the world. It has a 40 plus billion dollar valuation that we're talking about here. Probably sophistication levels aren't going to come into play in this particular question. The court is going to say, yeah, you're both capable of defending yourselves. So yes, it is possible that a bad acting Twitter could bad act its way into convincing someone to purchase it at a given set value. And they would be responsible for that as sophisticated as Elon Musk otherwise is. So I don't find this that compelling. And so when they send the sentence, that's as implausible and contrary to fact as it sounds. That's really going to depend on whatever weight you give to the veracity of Twitter Inc. as a corporation by the time you're reading this introduction. And in all honesty, having read through all these documents now, 300, 400, 500 maybe pages of these materials, I think we got a couple of bad actors here, folks, or at least a couple of wild card actors that are operating in the gray area and maybe not telling the whole truth in any of their documents, which is a mess for the court to figure out. And I think there are definitely weaknesses in Elon Musk's claims, but I also think there are weaknesses in Twitter's. Uh, and so when you set up the introduction this way, totally makes sense from a litigatory perspective and what you want to put forth as lawyers sitting here on the outside. Eh, it's not terribly convincing to me. After spending months looking for an excuse to get out of the contract, Musk claimed to terminate it explaining his supposed reasons for doing so in a July 8th letter to Twitter. When Twitter sued to enforce its rights and expose the weakness of those reasons, Musk spent weeks coming up with more supposed reasons, the counterclaims, which offer up an entirely new set of excuses for his breach. Now, this is another kind of swing at the fences for Twitter. One of the things they're trying to establish here is court, we got this notice of termination. It says these things about delivery of information, about MDAU. When he presents his case in his countersuit, it's all new, right? They say entirely new set of excuses. And I agree with them that some of the angles of attack that Elon Musk has brought up are weak because they aren't otherwise presented either in his termination or there are invented reasons for these things, like that the MDAU isn't split up into the quadrants he would see them set up in if he were running the company. I talked about that in the last section of this video series and said, well, 
you don't have to agree with how Elon Musk would have calculated this particular metric. Your goal is transparency and to make sure that you aren't outright lying to investors when you make your SEC filings. So while I do think there are some new angles in what Elon Musk has presented, I think Twitter presents it too strongly here because we do have letters that are publicly filed that we can see where Elon Musk is at least publicly presenting that he is concerned about fake and spam accounts and MDAU and all of that. So I don't view his countersuit as coming out of left field and entirely brand new. He tried to set the framework for that. You can feel it's pretextual. Twitter is going to argue that he is lying about those reasons, but they aren't entirely new in this context. The counterclaims are a made-for-litigation tale, says Twitter, that is contradicted by the evidence and common sense. Hopefully more evidence than common sense, because that's not a great thing to hang your hat on legally. Musk invents representations Twitter never made and then tries to wield selectively the extensive confidential data Twitter provided him to conjure a breach of those purported representations. Yet, Musk simultaneously and incoherently asserts that Twitter breached the merger agreement by stonewalling his information requests. As explained below and will be demonstrated at trial, the counterclaims are factually inaccurate, legally insufficient, and commercially irrelevant. Now again, Twitter is doing its job, their lawyers are doing their job, but I think they're presenting their case, which is a good one, too strongly, saying that Musk is incoherent in saying that, well, you didn't give us the right information, and yet you used information against us. Those aren't mutually exclusive at all. Elon Musk effectively is arguing in his documents that you gave us different stuff. We were still able to cobble together some thoughts as to what your fake and spam situation might be, and we think that that alone is a problem, but we're also charging you with never giving us the information we needed and admitting this the same in your own communications with us. So that is an incoherent. And when you tell the court that it is, a court that's looking at this particular set of facts is gonna say, well, I don't know that it is Twitter and you're casting out your own potential credibility when you make these kinds of broad assertions. Then we see this kind of factually inaccurate, legally insufficient and commercially irrelevant phraseology used in a lot of the reporting about this. That is as boilerplate as it comes. They're wrong. We're right. The quarter, the counterclaims fail to justify Musk's plan to dishonor the merger agreement. Musk claims that he has the right to walk away from the deal if Twitter was miscounting the number of false or spam accounts on its platform. Well, he says materially miscounting, and there's a whole bunch of things here. That is incorrect, as the facts and terms of the merger agreement show. Do they? When Musk offered to buy Twitter, he did not ask for, and Twitter did not make, any representations regarding the number of false or spam accounts. Remember this argument. This is one of the really, really big ones, which is that Twitter says he didn't ask us for anything about false or spam accounts or MDAU or otherwise. Elon Musk's response is, of course I did. I asked for it when I asked you to verify that all of your SEC disclosures were accurate. None of the company's SEC documents at the time they were filed or if amended at the time they were amended contained an untrue statement of a material fact. You didn't lie in those documents. And even more broadly, you didn't forget to say something that would otherwise characterize what you put in to those documents. And so Elon Musk says that covers everything that relates to your financials. We can collapse it in to this representation. We don't have to argue over all of the specifics. Twitter says, justifiably, this is a perfectly cogent argument from them. If it were so important to you, you would have named them separately and not relied on an umbrella statement like that. But they go too far in a number of places, suggesting that they have no obligations whatsoever when that plainly isn't the case. The merger agreement does not contain a single reference to false or spam accounts, nor 
did Musk ask Twitter for any information to verify the number of false or spam accounts before he entered into the merger agreement? To the contrary, Musk forwent all due diligence, giving Twitter 24 hours to accept his take-it-or-leave-it offer before he would present it directly to Twitter's stockholders. What Musk did ask for, and what he got, was a customary representation that Twitter's SEC filing since January 1st, 2022, so just this calendar year, did not contain any false or misleading statement of material fact, with no right to terminate the deal based on any inaccuracies in those filings, unless they have a material adverse effect on Twitter, as narrowly defined in the seller-friendly merger agreement. It's not that narrowly defined. And they're going to lean on this concept that Elon Musk told them that the agreement was seller-friendly in a couple of different places. And I want to just state up front that the characterization there doesn't matter, especially with sophisticated parties. You are actually reading what we call the definitive documents to determine what it is that they say. If I sent an email to you that said, this is seller-friendly, and it was the most draconian, buyer-favorable document in existence, you're not getting out of the terms of that agreement that you otherwise reviewed and signed because I sent an email one day that said it was seller-friendly. That's not how any of this works. So they're trying to get some cachet from these kinds of pre-signing conversations that really aren't going to hold water in the long run. Not that they need it to, to win the case, because they have some good arguments, but they keep leaning on these various things that I just don't think are going to be very important to the court. Musk neither sought nor obtained any information rights that would allow him to investigate the accuracy of those SEC filings as part of some post-signing due diligence process. And again, here's where one of those fights really takes place. Section 6.4, upon reasonable notice, the company shall afford to Elon Musk reasonable access and books and records regarding the business properties and personnel of the company as may be reasonably requested in each case for any reasonable business purpose related to the consummation of the transactions contemplated by this agreement. Twitter wants to tell you, wants to tell the court of chancery here that that just means technical stuff, logistical stuff that would be necessary to close the transaction where Elon Musk says, well, look, we forewent due diligence because we got a very broad information right section here and we were going to use it to check your reps and warranties. We don't have to take it on faith that those reps and warranties are accurate when you are obligated to deliver a company that has accurate representations and warranties, right? Each of the representations and warranties of the company shall be true and correct as of the closing date, except for such failures to be true and correct as would not have a company material adverse effect. So they have to be true so long as their falsity isn't something kind of small that wouldn't otherwise affect the value of the company that I'm buying. But I think we can agree that if Twitter says it's 5% that are fake and spam accounts on their service, and it turned out to be 99%, that somewhere in between there, we have crossed the Rubicon of what is a false representation and that the prospective buyer should be able to walk away. So if it's 99%, we know there's some falsehood. We might even have fraud because it should be assumed that they would know that that was in fact the way their platform was operating. But somewhere between the 5% that they claim and the 99%, there's probably a number where maybe Elon Musk should be forced to accept it. And then after that number, he shouldn't anymore. And so we've got this kind of fight here about what those information rights sections do, what the SEC representation does. Twitter wants to put forth that kind of journalistic interpretation of this deal that says he bought it as is. He's got to buy it no matter what they find. Ah, And Elon Musk is at least properly in my reading of the merger agreement saying, look, 
I get these reps. The reps have to be true as of closing. That implies for good faith and fair dealing purposes, I can check the reps. I don't have to take it on faith that your reps are accurate if you have an obligation to deliver a company with accurate reps. So this is all part of that process to make sure that you even can deliver a company that complies with the promises that you have made to me. As you can see, being a judge is hard. The facts Musk pleads do not even state a claim. In the disclosure, Musk claims was false or misleading. Twitter stated, we have performed an internal review of a sample of accounts and estimate that the average of false or spam accounts during the fourth quarter of 2021 represented fewer than 5% of our MDAU. And again, that's monetizable daily active users, which Twitter defines not as all accounts, but only as accounts who were logged in or otherwise authenticated and accessed Twitter through a variety of ways on a given day. Twitter cautioned that in making this determination, we applied significant judgment, so our estimation of false or spam accounts may not accurately represent the actual number of such accounts, and the actual number of false or spam accounts could be higher than we have estimated. And Twitter is going to lean on this language very, very heavily, that what they put forth in their own documents is this big, long, tangled soup of we don't mean it when we say fewer than 5%, right? We're using a bunch of judgment. Who knows? We've got a lot of processes in place. And to some extent, Twitter has a good argument here that they didn't tell their prospective or current investors that this was a guarantee, that it was absolutely less than 5%. But just like what we were talking about, anybody can intuit that if they say it's less than 5% and it's actually 99%, that they're gonna get in some trouble, right? that you are supposed to be transparent with your investors. And even though you haven't promised it's less than five, you say, hey, it could be 5.3, it could be 6.1, it could be something around there. It is understood you are representing a certain place in terms of the investor's mind that it's going to be in that neighborhood of numbering. And if it isn't, if it's 50%, then you've got a problem because you've omitted to state a material fact, which is that we have no freaking idea what that number is using the processes that we've used. And that's what Elon Musk is trying to hang his hat on. You can think it's a kind of weak argument. I don't think it's the strongest in the world, but Twitter is overselling its use of this language. It says, these are just estimates. That's fine. But investors have the ability to rely upon some level of verifiability of that number, even if you aren't dead on the nose with that. And so... That's where a lot of this fight lives. Musk does not identify any false or misleading statement of fact in this disclosure. He, he straight up claims that 5% is wrong. Instead, he asserts that his own analysis using a publicly available website indicates that false or spam accounts constitute at least 10% of Twitter's monetizable daily active users. But that claim is untenable on its face because Musk is not measuring the same thing as Twitter or even using the same data as Twitter. Musk can produce a higher estimate only by running a data set neither limited to, to nor inclusive of MDAU through a generic web tool that designated his own Twitter account a likely bot. The result is a distortion that Musk is hoping will nonetheless make waves. Twitter makes a strong point here. These numbers don't line up at all, Your Honor. They don't mean anything with what Elon Musk is saying. The primary difficulty Twitter has is that part of Elon Musk's argument is, yeah, you won't give us the right information. So when you complain about he's not even using the same data as us, that poses the question to the court, okay, well, what data are you using? Is it easily accessible? And at that point, why wasn't it turned over to Elon Musk when he makes the request? 
So all of it comes back down to what is that information requirement? Is Elon Musk making reasonable requests to verify the accuracy of the reps and warranties that he negotiated to be accurate as of him handing over $44 billion? Or is he going too far with that request? When Twitter comes out here strongly and says he's not even using the same data as us, Your Honor, to me, I say, why isn't he? What is the concern there? And Twitter will try to establish that they don't trust him in various places in this document. I can't say I blame them for what he has gone out with and tweeted, but that is one of the main foundational questions of this case. Musk also attacks Twitter's process for estimating the proportion of false or spam accounts among monetizable daily active users as unreasonable because Twitter's quarterly estimates are based on daily samples of 100 MDAU combined for a total sample of approximately 9,000 MDAU per quarter. But attacking an estimate as unreliable based merely on the size of the sample relative to the size of the population is an elementary statistical error. It is, absolutely. You can have a very small population that can deliver very important statistical results. But again, I have to point out, we just looked at Elon Musk's countersuit the other day. He says that he didn't even get proper information for how the sampling was selected. And that's going to be foundational to whether or not a population can be used as a representative sample to extrapolate out into these big numbers. Twitter will deny that later on. But again, there's overly summarizing what the argument is here when it's fair to say they disagree as to what this methodology is. Unable to identify any false or misleading statement in Twitter's disclosures regarding false or spam accounts. Again, it's the SEC disclosure, guys. Musk takes a swing at alleged inaccuracies in the company's disclosures about the implications of the MDAU metric generally. And here's where I think Mr. Musk and his counsel get a lot weaker in their argument. The SEC filings, relatively strong. The employee stuff, the ordinary course of business stuff, relatively strong. Uh, and then when you start advancing, well, the MDAU should be split up in these quadrants and they should be used for this purpose, et cetera, et cetera. I think they really have a significantly weaker case. We talked about that when we looked at the countersuit initially. Musk just now invented this new pretext. Again, every time you see the word pretext, just remember that is Twitter shouting at the court that the other side is lying for avoiding the merger agreement as these supposed inaccuracies are nowhere mentioned in his July 8th letter to Twitter explaining the bases for his purported termination of the merger agreement, nor in any other communication with Twitter since signing the merger agreement. In any event, Twitter never made the disclosures he now asserts are false. For example, Musk says Twitter misled investors when it represented that the MDAU metric is determinative of long-term financial performance. While Twitter has repeatedly described MDAU as an indicator of revenue growth, Twitter has not described MDAU as solely determinative of either revenue growth or long-term financial performance. Twitter's actual disclosures concerning MDAU as a business metric make this clear. One example, our MDAU and their level of engagement with advertising are critical to our success and our long-term financial performance will continue to be significantly determined by our success in increasing the growth rate of our MDAU as well as the number of ad engagements that they actually have language in their books and records that talk about the fact that MDAU is part of it. It's a key metric, but it's not the only metric. And as long as we're calling out Twitter for swinging too far, I think that's a fair thing to call out Elon Musk for doing in suggesting that MDAU is all that Twitter's relying upon when they do have language like this in their 10Ks. Musk also asserts that Twitter's disclosures misleadingly suggest that accounts counted at MDAU necessarily generate ad revenue. But MDAU is a measure of monetizable daily active users, not monetized daily active users. And by its nature, MDAU represents an opportunity to monetize those users rather than a confirmation that each user has generated ad revenue on any given day. And we pointed this out in an earlier video that that monetizable is doing work 
even though Twitter can still get in trouble if someone were to find that on an overall basis, those SEC disclosures are are painting a picture that isn't an accurate one for how Twitter is growing, how it will grow, what that metric actually means. The other pretexts Musk offers, supposed failures to gain Musk's consent for ordinary course actions like employee terminations and protection of user rights in foreign jurisdictions, offer no more valid bases to escape the deal. As detailed in the complaint and set up below, Twitter has complied in every respect with the merger agreement, Musk's counterclaims based as they are on distortion, misrepresentation, and outright deception change nothing. Like, these are the lines you should have been bringing up in Gizmodo. Musk signed and is obligated to consummate the merger agreement. Twitter is entitled to specific performance. This evil, deceptive, misrepresenting, distortive guy, we would like you to make him buy our company, which is just amusing, right? Like, they want the money. It's distinct. The company will only be held by Elon Musk if this deal goes through. So they're not protecting anything in the long term, but it's still an amusing state of affairs, which we'll see some other amusing state of affairs as we go along. So they set up that whole introduction, 25 minutes of discussion, and we haven't even started the answers yet. Now we're seven pages in to a 127 page document. If you're doing the math at home, that means we're going to be talking for about 14 hours uh, with each other. That's not going to happen because as I said, a lot of this stuff is boilerplate. We're only going to look at the material answers here, uh, but also keep in mind that this incorporates the entirety of Elon Musk's 91 page challenge. So we're really only looking at 30 35 pages of actual responses from Twitter here. So don't get too worried about the time. To the extent a response to the headings and footnotes and the counterclaims is required, Twitter denies any allegations therein. If for some reason you think we have to respond to a headling, Your Honor, uh, we deny everything. All allegations not expressly admitted herein are also denied. That's your umbrella term. We saw that in Elon Musk's answers. Hey, if we forget to mention something, just know we deny everything they accuse us of. Sure. And then we see the format that Twitter generally uses. Unlike the one that Elon Musk uses, they like to say denied at the front end, just in general, we're denying the whole thing. And then they give a big explanation, right? This is not the way we saw Elon Musk and his counsel responding to these things. This is just the introductory paragraph. And they say, Twitter's SEC disclosures are accurate and Twitter misrepresented nothing. So this is an actual factual assertion in their answers. Our SEC disclosures are accurate. And a lot of this case might well come down to that and an interpretation of whether those SEC disclosures are accurate and whether Elon Musk has the right, as he negotiated it, to investigate as to their accuracy. Musk's allegations attacking Twitter's SEC disclosures are not supported by any facts. Musk's allegations regarding negotiation and reliance are likewise contrary to the facts. Musk sought an urgent deal, undertook no due diligence, and offered a self-described seller-friendly merger agreement that contained no representations about false or spam accounts or MDAU, specifically. Right? Like the proper way, in my opinion, to write this from a legal perspective is that it contained no specific representations about false spam accounts or MDAU because Elon Musk and his counsel have a good argument that everything that they said to the SEC is incorporated in this representation. And it is a common boilerplate type of inclusion in a merger agreement because when you're dealing with a public company, they already had to abide by all of these rules, like telling the truth to the SEC. So you basically just say, Everything's good in those SEC documents, and that drags in all the SEC rules and things that you would have had to disclose rather than going about it piecemeal and making your merger agreement another 20 or 30 pages long. So this is normal and standard practice, but Twitter's trying to hold it against him. And again, using whatever was out-of-bounds contract communications describing it as seller-friendly as somehow useful. 
This agreement lives only in the four corners of the document. All of this stuff about it being seller-friendly doesn't matter. Twitter respectfully refers the court to the complaint and the other documents. And I'm not going to highlight this every time. We'll see this in a number of responses that they make. But this is that same response that we saw in the Elon Musk answers that says, for anything that's quoted, the court should just go look at that document itself. You don't have to take our word for it. You don't have to take Elon Musk's word for it. You should check it out. Next paragraph, they deny. Twitter's only strategy has been to advance the interests of the company and its stockholders and comply with the merger agreement. Clean as the driven snow, Your Honor. Musk, on the other hand, has been on a months-long campaign to repudiate the contract he signed. As to Musk's claim that Twitter has played hide-and-seek, the truth is the exact opposite. Musk has received massive amounts of information from Twitter for months and has been unable to find a valid excuse to back out of the contract. Again, people ask me what I think the strongest argument is. I think the strongest argument potentially, depending on the facts on the ground, is that they have never responded to his information requests as he has wanted them to. And as long as that has some kind of nexus, some kind of reasonable connection with the SEC reps themselves, I think he's probably entitled to that information under the information covenant that Twitter is denying here. They next deny the next paragraph. The Musk parties have spent months trying to invent a spam disclosure problem and have found nothing. Their complaints about the MDAU metric were not even among their reasons for termination. They are a newly invented litigating position. Twitter accurately discloses in its SEC filings its efforts to estimate the percentage of its MDAU that are false or spam accounts after it detects and removes spam. Twitter also accurately discloses in its SEC filings the definition and significance of the MDAU metric. Now, this in and of itself is somewhat interesting because they continue to claim that Elon Musk came out of nowhere with this MDAU stuff. And while I don't think the letter from June 6th, which I've brought up on your screen right now, is a great notice of breach, which is how they're trying to use it, you do have references to them not getting the right information. If Twitter is confident in its publicized spam estimates, Mr. Musk does not understand the company's reluctance to allow Mr. Musk to independently evaluate those estimates. As noted in our previous correspondence, Mr. Musk will, of course, comply with the restrictions provided under Section 6.4, including by ensuring that anyone reviewing the data is bound by a non-disclosure agreement. Mr. Musk will not retain or otherwise use any competitively sensitive information if the transaction is not consummated. Based on Twitter's behavior to date and the company's latest correspondence in particular, Mr. Musk believes the company is actively resisting and thwarting his information rights and the company's corresponding obligations under the merger agreement. This is a clear material breach of Twitter's obligations under the merger agreement, and Mr. Musk reserves all rights resulting therefrom. So the MDAU concept, which is all throughout this letter, is presented to Twitter at least as early as this letter. And we see from the timelines presented by both parties that these conversations were happening throughout May. So again, Twitter is trying to say a lot of the angles of attack here that Elon Musk has brought up are new. And I do think a lot of those angles are new. The foundational concept you're not giving me the information I want to verify a representation that has to be true in order for me to owe you the money. I find that to be a problem. That all stayed the same, as best I can tell. Twitter admits that Musk actively uses Twitter and that many people believe that open discourse is essential to a functioning democracy. This is an interesting response, I think, because they're answering it directly to what this paragraph says about free speech, uh, but they frame it in such a way that it kind of sounds like Twitter doesn't believe uh, that open discourse is essential to a functioning democracy, which of course they put in their advertisements and things like that. And I'm not holding it against them. I just, it jumped out at me when they say, many people believe that open discourse is essential to a functioning democracy. We just happen to run a social media platform. Uh, and so we'll put that in there. Musk's recent complaints about the prevalence of spam and the MDAU metric are a pretext 
to avoid honoring the merger agreement. They aren't even going out with, we don't know, right? Usually you say, we don't have enough information to tell you what's in Elon Musk's head. We don't have enough information to tell you, as he said, what's in the Twitter board's head, what they discussed on these. They're going out there writing the answer document and saying he's lying about all of it. It's all pretext. None of this is real. Twitter avers, avers, legal term for asserts, which we'll probably replace it with, but lawyers like to be fancy, that Musk's voluminous post-signing requests for information have not been undertaken in an effort to close the deal as required by the contract, but rather to undermine it. Now, the contract doesn't expressly require his information requests to be in an effort to close the deal. It's any reasonable business purpose, including evaluating the valuation of the company to the extent it's related to the consummation of the transactions contemplated by this agreement. This is broad language. Twitter continues to ignore that fact. And interestingly, they aren't leaning at all on their right to deny a request for information based on their belief that it could cause significant competitive harm, presumably because they think that's a losing argument. Uh, and I think that that's probably right insofar as Elon Musk has said he's willing to protect it. All of these terms in the merger agreement, protect that information, et cetera, et cetera. So they are underselling what this information right provision actually says. He's not obligated to only go and try to make it better. He's allowed to check what Twitter is promising they are delivering to him at closing. Denied Musk's unsupported claims of misrepresentation and his claim to be troubled are pretext aimed at escaping his contractual obligations. When he says he's troubled, when he uses this language, he is lying to the court. And we're not even going to pretend like we don't know it. Twitter denies that it restated three years of its MDAU figures. This is when they changed those MDAU numbers a couple of days after signing the merger agreement. Although Twitter admits that it did not provide the information in the April 28th, 22 press release to the Musk parties before the merger agreement was signed and before the parties had a non-disclosure agreement in place. And we also assert... Uh, that Musk failed to mention that information among his purported bases of termination or in any conversation with Twitter. We deny that we restated it. We also acknowledge that we might have moved the numbers around a little bit. But what is a restatement, Your Honor? Twitter further states that it has not represented that false or spam accounts comprise less than 5% of MDAU, but rather that it estimates as much that the merger agreement contains no representations about either MDAU or spam, and that the SEC filings Twitter has made regarding its estimates of false or spam accounts in MDAU are accurate, as Musk's inability to point to any inaccuracy in those disclosures confirms. He, he straight up accuses you of being way off on your 5% number, so I don't think that's a winning argument either. And then it comes down to the judge, right? Is that language, that big protective language about what MDAU is, does that suggest that they are making absolutely no representation when they include a line that says we looked at it and it represents fewer than 5% of our MDAU during the quarter, fake and spam accounts? Does that mean absolutely nothing because they later on say it may not accurately represent the actual number, right? I would argue that it does not. I would argue that if the SEC were to look at these kinds of things, that it does not. It gives you some leeway around that number. You're not guaranteeing that accuracy specifically. But again, if it's 99%, heck, if it's even 50%, I think you'd find yourself in trouble with what you knew, what you should have known, what you're telling investors. And that's what Elon Musk is trying to get at. And Twitter is saying, oh, no, no, we didn't represent anything at all. And I think that's a losing argument. You represented something. Uh, and so you're going to have to argue that it's pretty close to what that number is and that Elon Musk is effectively wrong. 
Twitter CEO and CFO were unable to explain both how those 100 accounts per day were selected to ensure a representative sample of what criteria were applied other than a reviewer's gut judgment. That's Elon Musk's complaint. And we talked about this earlier in the document, but his main issue is, okay, maybe 100 accounts could work. You won't even tell us how those accounts are selected. Uh, they deny this. They say Musk intentionally misrepresents what Twitter does to detect and combat spam, all of which is well known to the Musk parties. And as Twitter has explained repeatedly and in detail to the Musk parties and summarized publicly, and then you're going to get this answer that is copied in a bunch of places. We're not going to read it every time, but we are going to read it here. Twitter deploys spam detection capabilities that typically remove more than 1 million spam accounts each day during or shortly after creation, including both automated and manual reviews of accounts and activity on the Twitter platform during and after signup. Remember, one of the things that Elon Musk has said he would do to improve Twitter is to have a more thorough verification policy at the start of setting up an account. Twitter also locks millions of accounts each week that cannot pass human verification challenges, such as CAPTCHAs or phone verifications. Separate from these automated and manual spam detection processes, Twitter estimates the prevalence of false or spam accounts within MDAU reported each quarter through multiple human reviews in replicate presumably meaning that there are humans that are otherwise checking each other's work, of thousands of randomly selected accounts each quarter using both public and private data. So they go out here in this answer document and they are telling the court, this is what we do on this kind of thing. And we deny what Elon Musk accuses us of, of not having a legitimate process in place. Twitter's disclosures have unraveled and that Twitter is closing the gates on information are not true. Twitter has made and continues to make available to Musk massive flows of data. Is it the data he's requested? Is it the data he needs for what he says he wants to do? Is that request for what he wants to do legitimate? Lots of questions for the court. Moreover, as set forth in detail in its complaint, Twitter spent significant time and resources to compile and in many instances create data collections and information requested by the Musk parties. Twitter has explained what accounts it includes in the MDAU and why they are included there just as it has explained the criteria and indicators used to estimate spam or false accounts. We've done everything they have asked of us, Your Honor. And unfortunately, sitting here on the outside, we're effectively at an impasse because Elon Musk says, no, you didn't. Twitter says, yes, we did. But there are a few admissions that Twitter's going to make in this document that are at least suggestive of the fact that Twitter isn't turning over everything that it could be to get Elon Musk to what he actually needs to analyze. Now, do they have to do that? That's another open question but it does appear that Twitter is not being entirely responsive to what Elon Musk's requests actually are. Musk's preliminary expert estimates are nothing more than the output of running the wrong data through a generic web tool. The data are wrong because as Musk knows, the fire hose from which the data were collected reflects many Twitter accounts that are not included at MDAU. And at the same time, and as Musk admits in footnote two, does not reflect the majority of those accounts that are included in MDAU because those accounts, though logged in, are not tweeting or taking other actions. Confirming the unreliability of Musk's conclusion, he relies on an internet application called the Botometer, which applies different standards than Twitter does, and which earlier this year designated Musk himself as highly likely to be a bot. We don't know whether Elon Musk is a bot, to be fair. We have no proof of that one way or the other, but it is a nice gotcha for Twitter there to suggest, hey, the tool you're using thinks that you might be a bot, and yet I'm not sure it's the silver bullet that journalists or folks that just look at the rhetoric think it is, because even if there's a wrong error there in terms of what he's bought, you don't know exactly what the percentage rightness of the botometer is in these kinds of questions. So while that is silly, and while it does cast a doubt on it from Elon Musk and his team's perspective, 
it might be the case that if the botometer is coming down with 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 percent potential bots, which we'll also see Twitter argue is not necessarily fake or spam accounts, then even if it identifies uh, Elon Musk as a potential bot, I think it gives it a four out of five as a possibility uh, or something along those lines, that isn't necessarily disparaging the whole process. And at the end of the day, as Twitter says here, he's using the wrong data. That's the data that Twitter provided to him. Twitter must be using different data to establish that Elon Musk is using the wrong data. And then that poses the question, why hasn't Twitter turned over the right data? Continuing from there, we get a little bit more incendiary language from Twitter. Twitter's disclosures regarding MDAU and its SEC filings are accurate, and Musk's attempt to distort data received from Twitter to sponsor wild conclusions about Twitter's MDAU, reflecting his apparent and inappropriate effort to use this litigation to undermine Twitter's business. Twitter's disclosures regarding MDAU are accurate. Musk's counterclaims seek to distort them through selective omission and misleading bolding. First of all, that's a great rock group name, right? Misleading Bolding. I think we can make this work, uh, but it's very funny to me to have the lawyers come in and say, he is bolding things in a misleading fashion, your honor. And maybe he is, right? Maybe the emphasis that is being added is odd, right? So he's got this italicized the best way to measure performance. And he says, it's misleading. It's misleading. So we've got misleading Bolding here in the document. The allegations of paragraph 16 are manifestly irrelevant to the merger agreement and aimed at disparaging the company. Only SEC filings since January 1st, 2022 can serve as a basis for any claim by Musk under that agreement. Remember this paragraph, if you will recall, is when he accuses them of changing from MAU to MDAU in order to make their bonus pools. Twitter's adoption of MDAU occurred and was disclosed and explained in 2019, and Musk's reliance on this issue is further demonstration that he has found nothing in months of trying to justify his refusal to perform under the merger agreement. And I I don't think that's right. So he's effectively saying the MDAU as a concept is a lie. Uh, I don't know that he has a hook to hang his hat on there, but he doesn't actually have to go back to when they switched over in order to establish that it would still be a lie in 2022, if otherwise unchanged. So Twitter says he's found nothing. And I don't know whether they're right or wrong because they're just ignoring what Elon Musk has uh, attacked them on. Musk does not have and has not pleaded a shred of evidence for the rhetoric-heavy, fact-free allegations of this paragraph. Twitter admits that it ended its employment relationship with certain employees, declined to accept the resignation of a board member, and initiated litigation in India. Twitter denies that it instituted a hiring freeze, which I don't know why it denies, because it's public that they reduced their hiring. Twitter also denies that any of this required Musk's consent insofar as Twitter negotiated for the ability under the merger agreement to retain control over hiring and terminating employees. This is a separate fight in this ordinary course provision, right? So as we understand it, as described by Twitter, there was an ordinary course provision here that says, well, you agree at Twitter that you're not going to do anything to wreck things. Or more specifically, the company shall use its commercially reasonable efforts to conduct the business of the company and its subsidiaries in the ordinary course of business, except you can do things for COVID. And to the extent consistent therewith, the company shall use those commercially reasonable efforts to preserve substantially intact the material components of its current business organization and to preserve in all material respects its present relationships with key customers, suppliers, and other persons, presumably including employees, with which it has material business relations. That's overall the thesis behind here. You will keep Twitter operating the same way. And Twitter tells a story that says, in this long list that I haven't highlighted here of things that we specifically can't do, 
there used to be a provision that said we can't hire and fire people above the vice president level or something along those lines. We negotiated that out of the deal. And then Twitter is using that negotiation to say that that means that we had negotiated for the right to control hiring and firing of our employees. Broadly, that's at least somewhat accurate insofar as the hiring and firing is consistent with your ordinary course operations. But then you raise the question, right? It's not actually in here anymore. So instead of, hey, we're specifically allowed to do that, like you see, you know the parties know how to do it because they did it in the parenthetical, except with respect to actions or omissions that constitute COVID-19 measures. They know how to accept something from this provision. You don't see an exception for hiring or firing. So it comes down to kind of the generic interpretation of the contract of, is it ordinary course hiring or firing? Hey, Joe is stealing things. You can fire him. Absolutely. That's what we would have done if Elon Musk weren't in the picture. Can you actually terminate 30% of a given division? Can you do these various other things? Can you initiate litigation in a foreign jurisdiction? What constitutes ordinary course of business? This is traditionally a very nebulous area. And I also have to caution, it's an area where the folks that are trying to say that they have, uh, the other side has breached it, have difficulty. They have a bit of a burden here uh, because the company is allowed to operate in a manner that assumes that they know what they're doing. So when we talk about this issue, Twitter starts out as default strong on this position, and yet they're over-presenting what they actually negotiated for. There isn't this permission to do these things. Elon Musk has pointed that out. I would expect the court to point it out if this becomes a salient issue in the court case itself. But they keep saying, hey, since we got rid of that one prohibition, that means we're allowed to do everything else. That's far too strong of a stance for them to take. I also like this particular provision. This is just the parties uh, in the agreement. Remember, if you will, Elon Musk described Twitter as operating a microblogging social network on which users write and share short messages or tweets. In the answer, Twitter gives, yes, we acknowledge that this is us, but we would like to point out that we own and operate a global platform for real-time self-expression and conversation, including in the form of tweets. Yes, we tweet, but we also help self-expression and conversation in real time. Uh, so that's just kind of marketing and corporate speak. We don't like, we're not a microblogging social network, whatever that means. We're a real-time self-expression and conversation platform. And I find that amusing because I'm a unique individual. Uh, we've got this refers to the court uh, section here for all these documents. We can skip these pretty safely. We got Twitter admits that the MDAU is a key metric we use to evaluate our business because among other reasons, it reflects daily engagement with Twitter and the size of its audience capable of being monetized. But we deny that MDAU reflects the population of its users that are being exposed to advertisements on a daily basis. And then they include the definition separately. And you'll get these fights around the edges of to what we're talking about with MDAU. Twitter admits that year over year changes in ad engagements are also a key metric that Twitter has disclosed. Twitter asserts that defendants have omitted important disclosures about the relationship between ad engagements and revenue, that Elon Musk has put forth an argument that MDAU is all that matters. And Twitter here is telling the court, I think rightly, that we've never said that. We said MDAU is the population and the ad engagement is effectively what we're selling to them. Both of those things matter because we could have 300 million MDAU. And if everybody stops buying ads on Twitter, well, that's not going to be great. Twitter has disclosed that the growth of its advertising revenue depends on increases in the number of MDAU, right? You can make more money selling to a bigger pot, but it's not the only part of that math equation. Increases in ad pricing or the number of ads shown, which is driven by advertiser demand, increases in the click-through rate, actually using the ads, as well as other factors. So I think Twitter has the right of this, that Elon Musk is trying to cut that onion too thinly, that Twitter never claimed that MDAU was the only thing 
and again, all of this comes back to Elon Musk's weakest arguments in his countersuit, which is that not only uh, is your MDAU wrong, uh, not only did you not provide me the information to check it, but also wrong MDAU means X, Y, and Z in these various fashions because you've said it's the only important metric because you haven't been dividing it right. And I think at that level, it's weak. Uh, the stuff that is on the superficial level, you didn't give us what I asked for. I wasn't able to check the rep. I wasn't able to then verify that you could deliver a company with that rep that is true and get my $44 billion. That's the strongest stuff. Uh, and all the rest of this is just providing fodder for Twitter to, I think, accurately respond against. In late March 2022, Dorsey and other members of Twitter's board approached Musk to ask him to join the board. Musk was hesitant at first, but listen to their pitches over the next couple of weeks. And this is highlighted in red because Twitter denies this completely. Uh, now, there are meetings but I suspect what they're actually denying with specificity is that they never asked him to join the board and it wasn't for the purpose of getting him to join the board. Twitter probably has the right of that if you watch this happen in real time. They're scared to death of whatever the heck Elon Musk is doing and they think it might make sense to offer him a board seat uh, and there's an uh, argument about that and there's an agreement signed and he backs off and he offers to buy the company. It's been a heck of a spring for Elon Musk and Twitter. Twitter does admit that Musk abruptly changed his mind about joining Twitter's board and here's some snark after first negotiating an offer to join the board, accepting it in writing, and tweeting that he was looking forward to taking the position, notified Mr. Agrawal of the same, and also notified Mr. Agrawal of his intent to make an offer to buy Twitter. So this is Elon Musk describing how this went down in April. And they add a little character, they add a little color. Yeah, he abruptly changed his mind. Here's a parenthetical describing how uh, unbelievable it was for us at that moment in time. Uh, and so the court can take that under advisement. Twitter admits that its board of directors formed a transactions committee to, among other things, assist the board's evaluation of Musk's acquisition proposal, and that the board retained financial advisors to Twitter and its board in connection with Musk's proposal and potential strategic alternatives thereto. Twitter admits that its board adopted a shareholder rights plan on April 15th and otherwise denies the allegations in the second sentence of paragraph 35. They deny that it's a poison pill to try to make it harder for Musk to purchase the company. Thou doth protest too much, Twitter. You adopted a poison pill plan in the immediate aftermath of Musk rattling his saber, and it looked for all the world like you were throwing up the walls against Elon Musk. Twitter asserts that Musk himself admitted this allegation is not true, that poison pill concept, having tweeted on April 16th that the Twitter board may have adopted the rights plan due to a concern about other potential bidders. That is not Elon Musk admitting that the allegation is not true. That is Elon Musk otherwise talking around the fact that it sure looks like you may have violated your fiduciary obligations at that moment in time, and he would still like to work with you at that moment in April. So I don't find that to be terribly useful either, but hey, lawyers got a lawyer. Twitter further denies that it does not effectively authenticate users at the front end. As Twitter has publicly disclosed, it typically detects and removes more than a million spam accounts each day during or shortly after creation. We're doing something at the front end, and Elon's not going to solve it with whatever his kind of random thesis is to do things at the front end, Your Honor. Twitter asserts that its SEC filings do not make a representation as to the percentage of spam included in its MDAU. Rather, Twitter provides its estimate thereof pursuant to an estimation methodology detailed therein. And again, I think this is probably too strongly worded. Yes, it's an estimate. No, you're not locked into 5%, but you have to be somewhere in the ballpark or else you are going to run into trouble with falsehoods or omission of material facts. Twitter expressly denies that its algorithm results in Russian propaganda accounts going viral by posting misinformation. Fair enough. Twitter further asserts that the account reference in that paragraph was in fact permanently suspended. And Elon Musk actually grants that. He says it's banned, the now banned account in question. But they're saying that their home tweets don't help move certain aspects of Twitter engagement along. Again, 
I don't think it matters to this legal case. I think they're wrong on a practical basis. I think a lot of what they do with their algorithm does promote engagement over accuracy or verifiability. And you do wind up with things like propaganda accounts of whatever national persuasion. Uh, denied Twitter's SEC disclosures are accurate and Twitter misrepresented nothing regarding MDAU. We see that answer a lot. Twitter admits the allegations in this paragraph about the offer made, except that Twitter asserts that Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan opined on the fairness of the proposed merger only from a financial point of view, right? So Elon Musk says, hey, they gave a fairness opinion to the shareholders. The offer was fair to Twitter's shareholders, which is what a fairness opinion does, uh, but it's also only from a financial point of view. Just to be clear, Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan did not endorse Elon Musk buying Twitter. It's fine. It's fine, Twitter lawyers. We hear you. Uh, Twitter admits that Musk increased his equity commitment to $33.5 billion, but asserts that Musk replaced his margin loan because Tesla's declining share price would have required Musk to pledge far more Tesla shares or cash as collateral to the margin lenders than Musk originally anticipated. Probably? This is kind of weird. This is reading Elon Musk's mind as to why he switched his financing and he's still offering the same amount of money. Uh, they have their theory of the case, which is that Elon Musk is running around like a chicken with his head cut off as Tesla share price declines because he would have to put up more and more Tesla shares as collateral for the loans he's going to use to buy Twitter. So he changes things around. They assert that based on essentially what we can see happening in the market, but they don't appear to have primary information on this. So that's, that's interesting. They're just doubling up on their theory of the case here. A lot more blanks because a lot of this is just go read the documents court. They denied this provision while Twitter attempted to insert flexibility into the provision by including express language, allowing Twitter to adopt employee retention plans without seeking consent. The Musk party rejected those attempts. Twitter denies the allegations in the first sentence. That's interesting, right? Because we're having a fight over ordinary course language. What does it mean to operate your company in the ordinary course? Elon Musk effectively tries to turn around Twitter's argument on them. They say, hey, we never let in that provision that prohibited us from firing and hiring people above the vice president level. We have total authority in hiring and firing, which I think is going too far. Elon Musk says, well, you tried to get in this language that would have allowed you to do retention plans. It didn't go in. That means that I get to block these things without consent. And Twitter effectively denies that as well. So one of the things this court is going to have to decide is what these parties agreed to with respect to that ordinary course of business provision. And while I think Twitter has the stronger argument just based on default positions on these things, I do not think it is as strong as they present. Twitter also asserts that during the negotiation of the merger agreement, it rejected Musk's proposal that would have required Twitter to obtain Musk's consent prior to terminating the employment of any executive above the level of vice president. That's what they're using as their argument that means they can hire and fire at their discretion. It doesn't quite mean that, uh, but that's what Twitter's argument is. Twitter asserts that the Musk parties declined to undertake any due diligence prior to signing the merger agreement. That's totally fine. This is the paragraph where he says, I don't believe in pre-signing due diligence. I think it slows things down. The Musk parties relied on the SEC representation to sign the deal. Here's another interesting thing that Twitter asserts. Twitter denies those allegations and asserts that the agreement contains no specific representations related to user-based disclosures or MDAU. Elon Musk comes in here and says, look, I negotiated for this provision. I relied on this provision in signing the deal. You promised to me that this provision would be active by the time we get to closing. Uh, and if it isn't true at the time of closing, I don't have to close. And so this is clearly very important to me. And Twitter says, nah, we don't think that you actually needed that provision at all. 
This is a loser of an argument that these two sophisticated parties negotiated for this rep. Elon Musk absolutely was entitled to rely upon this thing. We can argue about whether or not Twitter is actually in violation, that there is something at issue with its SEC filings. That's a perfectly, totally capable fight of having between these parties. But there is no question that Elon Musk can make the assertion that he relied on the representations he negotiated for that the company is giving to him in order to sign the deal. They just think that this whole thing is a lie and they're going to tell the court it in every way possible. Twitter asserts the merger agreement contains none of those MDAU or false or spam account representations. Go check these documents for all these quotes, your honor, et cetera, et cetera. Twitter asserts that the definition of material adverse effect in the merger agreement excludes any changes, events, effects, or circumstances that directly or indirectly relate to or result from any litigation arising out of the proposed merger. Now, we talked about this when we were looking at the countersuit itself. One of the things that Elon Musk is trying to establish is, well, by the time I announce this to the public that there are all these problems with this particular calculation of MDAU, I think the company is going to go down. And so one of the questions then becomes, if that is in fact the case, if the Twitter valuation goes down because the MDAU is materially wrong, do the Twitter board and the Twitter shareholders get out of jail free because the company material adverse effect, such as it is, relates to, quote unquote, any litigation claim or legal proceeding threatened or initiated against parent acquisition sub, the company or any of their respective affiliates, basically the parties to this deal, in each case arising out of or relating to this agreement or the transactions contemplated by this agreement, and including the impact of any of the foregoing on any relationships with customers, suppliers, vendors, collaboration, partners, employees, unions, or regulators. This might sound like an obvious win for Twitter, and I suspect they have a very good argument here, but Elon Musk also has an argument, which is to say that the material adverse effect actually relates to your lying about this to the SEC, not to the litigation that made it public. It's just that the publicity is what made it known, but this actually relates to your errors. And that's one of the reasons why he brought up fraud, right? Because if the number is so off that Twitter should have known that this couldn't possibly be the case, and again, that's assuming a whole lot of stuff, then at that point in time, the whole deal is rescinded. None of this applies and you don't even wind up having this fight. Outside of that though, the question becomes, is this just related to the litigation or is it related to something else? The SEC filings, the public letters that Elon Musk has made uh, to the SEC, other aspects of this potential transaction that could otherwise constitute a company material adverse effect. This'll be an interesting fight if it came down to it. If we get to this level, Twitter's already kind of on its back foot. But Twitter puts forth an interesting argument that says can't relate to the litigation. So it can't just be about you disclosing this stuff in that countersuit or the other filings that you otherwise are putting forth to the court. They do general denials. We have, again, this description of how they find spam, what they do about it. We have Elon Musk saying, hey, despite extremely volatile social, political and economic conditions, the less than 5% number has never changed. Twitter asserts that it does all these various things. Twitter further asserts that after it determines an account is spam, malicious automation, or fake, Twitter stops counting it on subsequent days. Musk is well aware that Twitter's estimate of the percentage of false or spam accounts within MDAU reported each quarter does fluctuate between numbers under 5% because Twitter provided him on July 1st, 2022, the actual data going back to January, 2021. I highlighted this in red because this is super interesting. What does Elon Musk have as their formal calculation 
of what their fake and spam accounts within the MDAU calculation actually is. What does Elon Musk know or what has Twitter told him they know about this number is pertinent. What, what does this say? How is this calculated? And one of the things that Elon Musk has said he hasn't got an answer to is that second question. Okay, here's some numbers, 4.1, 4.7, 3.8, whatever it is, he's got in front of him, how'd you come up with these things? And he has not found himself to be happy with the answers to that question, as he has described it, if we're assuming his good faith. Uh, we then have Elon Musk saying that Morgan Stanley based their valuations on the MDAU disclosures. Twitter denies that in signing the merger agreement, Musk relied upon Twitter's calculation of MDAU in the manner alleged. Again, usually with a complaint paragraph like, hey, our guys at Morgan Stanley used the MDAU disclosures to determine the value of the company. Generally speaking, Twitter would have no idea whether that is true or not. And so generally speaking, they would answer, we have no idea whether that is true or not. They straight up deny it. All of this is lies. They are willing to go to the court and say everything he says about all of this is a lie, your honor. We also assert the defendants invented their allegations with respect to reliance on our disclosures related to MDAU solely for purposes of the counterclaims. They didn't rely upon it to set their price. They aren't relying upon it now. It is entirely pretextual and they are lying about relying upon it in order to present their current case here today. Twitter, not a big Elon Musk fan, as it turns out, but they still want him to buy their company. Twitter denies that it restated its MDAU figures. Twitter admits that on April 28th, it provided updated values, but we didn't restate them. We updated them. For MDAU from the fourth quarter of 2020 to the fourth quarter of 2021, asserts that in each quarter, those updated MDAU values reflected a less than 1% change in reported MDAU and refers the court to that document. Now, I think that argument, it's not material. It's very small. It's only 1%. That is much better than we deny that we restated them. We didn't restate them, Your Honor. We just changed them uh, in a document that we released to the public a few days after we signed the merger agreement. This is not Twitter's best look. I think it is defeatable pretty easily by saying, hey, they're very small, but I wouldn't deny that we restated the figures. I, I think that's going too far again. Twitter admits that it did not provide the information in that press release to the Musk parties before the merger agreement was signed and before the parties had entered into a non-disclosure agreement, but Twitter denies that the press release made any statements or constituted any admission as to the materiality of the figures discussed therein or the precision of any MDAU figures. That's what Elon Musk keeps trying to say. Hey, you wouldn't have changed them if they weren't important, if they weren't material. And you use these points, you use these decimals. So you must be pretty darn accurate about what you think the MDAU is. Twitter says, no, we're doing belt and suspenders. We're trying to do legal compliance. We're not telling you that it's a material change. We're not telling you that we can hit with specificity those numbers. I think Twitter has the right of all of this except for denying that it restated the numbers at all. Uh, Twitter knew that disclosing the upcoming MDAU restatement would have likely caused the Musk parties to ask further questions that could delay the signing of the merger agreement beyond April 25th, 2022. Again, highlighted in red, they deny that completely. Twitter admits that it reached agreement with defendants on April 25th, that it planned to release its earning figures on April 28th, and that a call regarding those figures did not occur on April 28th due to an agreement between Twitter and the defendants. To say Elon Musk agreed that we wouldn't do that call within that time frame. Contrary to Twitter's narrative, according to Mr. Musk, the May 6th meeting was not requested by the Musk parties. Rather, it was a pre-scheduled introductory meeting in order to verify Twitter's representations and warranties in light of their restatement. Remember, they're denying that it's a restatement at all. So they say, we admit there was a meeting, but we otherwise deny the remainder, including in particular the false statement, not erroneous, not mistaken, false, that the meeting was scheduled in light of the restatement. Twitter asserts that the Musk parties did not raise the subject of the updated MDAU values before this litigation. And that's not accurate. 
right? We saw them talk about the MDAU updates in a whole host of things, including the termination that were a part of this story. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known about it. Uh, and so that's not accurate. And that was at least brought up, even if it wasn't brought up in the same context as his countersuit. Twitter denies that its executives were unable to answer questions during the May 6, 2022 meeting between Musk and Twitter and denies that Musk was, quote unquote, struck thereby, right? Musk was struck by Twitter's executives' inability to answer. We deny that we couldn't answer, and we deny that he was confounded at all, uh, Your Honor. Twitter asserts that it held an informational call prior to Musk's purported termination at which the data scientist responsible for calculating the MDAU metric was in attendance and asked questions from Musk's representatives that Musk himself declined to attend. Here's another kind of brush that Twitter likes to paint Elon Musk with. I don't think it's a bad one for them to use, but it's that he's not showing up to these meetings himself. Now, Elon Musk, busy guy, CEO of these companies. In general, a lot of these deals are done by representatives, people that are going to understand the information better. But Elon Musk does go out there in public and suggest that he understands these processes very strongly. You would expect him to have a more keen interest in this particular question, especially if it's going to scuttle a 40 plus billion dollar deal. And Twitter is saying he's only ever sending his representatives. Twitter further asserts that it prepared a detailed summary document for Musk of Twitter's process for estimating the prevalence of false or spam accounts within MDAU, which Musk later admitted he had not read. And I highlighted that in red because that's pretty good gotcha. Again, okay, we prepared this stuff. Musk isn't reading it. Now, Elon Musk's primary response is likely to be, that's what my representatives are for. I'm the guy with the billions of dollars, not the guy that reads every document that crosses my desk. But Twitter makes a good point, at least in rhetoric in this document. Twitter asserts that the human review Musk denigrates as less advanced is, in fact, appropriate for evaluating whether an account is engaged in false or spam behaviors for purposes of estimating false or spam accounts that are not removed by Twitter's spam detection and removal systems. Twitter further asserts the rigorous modern machine learning methodologies Musk touts require human review and input for initial training and calibrations. I don't think these are very strong arguments either, except as to say that Elon Musk saying, hey, it shouldn't be done this way, it should be done this way, isn't a legal kind of argument. Yes, you can improve systems at a company. Twitter doesn't have to be doing everything perfectly right. In fact, as we said in previous videos, that's usually when you spend money to buy a company is you say, hey, those assets, they could be better used. I'm going to spend them on the, on the lower price. I'm going to make a lot more money because I know how to improve their company and its efficiencies. Here, Twitter's saying, no, we're doing it the right way. And then their gotcha here isn't very good. Hey, by the way, humans have to work on those robot methodologies too. Yeah, I mean, it's not robots all the way down, certainly. Uh, Twitter further asserts that it is a sample set for that estimation, which as Musk was informed is selected according to a random process is as a matter of basic statistics of sufficient size for the extrapolation Twitter performs. I'm not getting the information that I need from what Twitter is saying here. Twitter is basically just asserting that it is doing representative sampling of its body. Uh, and that means that it has a hundred answers is sufficient enough to evaluate the entirety of what's false or fake. Uh, in the MDAU uh, full set. I don't know whether that's true or not. I do not know whether 100 can ever be sufficient. I've got statisticians in my comments letting me know that it can be in certain circumstances. I'm more than willing to trust them on that. But I do think that if you are going to rely on that process, it behooves you to tell Elon Musk, your uh, purported new owner, exactly how you are selecting the individuals that are being put through that process to understand whether it is statistically significant or not. Twitter immediately removes accounts identified as false or spam from its MDAU accounts on a going forward basis, consistent with Twitter's disclosures and with the basic premise that Twitter does not know that an account has engaged in false or spam behaviors until it detects such behaviors. 
Twitter separately deploys a human-led review of a random sample of accounts in MDAU to estimate the percentage of false or spam accounts that are not detected and removed by Twitter's spam detection and removal process. So here we're getting into the fight about what it is that they actually do. Twitter admits that beginning in early May 2022, defendants requested certain information from Twitter purportedly in accordance with defendants' limited information rights under the merger agreement. How limited? That's going to be up to the court. Twitter asserts that it provided defendants with an unprecedented amount of data and information in response to their increasingly unreasonable and improper demands. Full-on legal conclusion there, uh, but that is the crux of the fight at issue here. What does this section mean? What does Twitter owe? What is reasonable for Elon Musk to ask for? And the court's going to have to arrive at that determination on its own. Twitter admits that among their many requests, the Musk parties asked how Twitter estimates that fewer than 5% of MDAU are false or spam accounts. Twitter further admits that it provided a six-page memorandum that answered that question, which Elon Musk says was unsatisfactory. Concerned that Twitter's feigned confusion, as described by Elon Musk, would otherwise cause trouble, we asked for the fire hose. Twitter admits that defendants continued to request information from Twitter, otherwise denies the remaining allegations, expressly including that Twitter feigned confusion about any matter, any matter at all and that the fire hose is necessary or sufficient to run an analysis of false or spam accounts. Twitter admits that the fire hose does not reflect all accounts counted in MDAU and further asserts that the fire hose reflects activity by many accounts that are not counted in MDAU. But again, it does pose the question, how in the world is Elon Musk supposed to check these things if he's not getting the data to actually evaluate themselves? And does he have the right to evaluate this himself? That's a fundamental question the court is going to have to answer should it come to it. Twitter admits that it provided defendants with data sets and summaries in response to their requests, including custom data sets and polls created to Musk's specifications. Twitter admits that it provided responses to broad categories of information requests without delay. And here, in respect of the somewhat silly reference to the fact that they included their Golden State Warriors contract, Twitter, I think, has the right of it here. They say, we also admit that we populated the data room with materials requested by defendants, including information regarding our contractual obligations. And yeah. That's the kind of contract that would appear here. This appeared to be an Elon Musk-style gotcha. I'm on Twitter's side on this. That's how data rooms are populated. What you would have given them is a due diligence list asking for contracts of a certain size that obligate the company in certain ways, and those would all go into a data room for evaluation by the acquiring party's attorneys. Twitter further asserts that despite Musk's claimed willingness to implement protocols to protect the privacy of Twitter's data, Musk himself had previously tweeted details about confidential information provided to Musk under the merge agreement. I actually think this should be highlighted as part of Twitter's argument here, right? Because Twitter, as we pointed out, has the ability to say, we don't have to turn over information if we think it's going to cause significant harm to us should the deal not go through. Elon Musk basically tries to disarm that particular provision by saying, look, I've already agreed to confidentiality. I'll have all the third parties agree to confidentiality. You can't use that to prevent yourselves from having an obligation to give me information. Twitter in every instance, can go out and say, look, he's tweeting out aspects of the merger agreement seemingly every day. And so at that point in time, we don't trust him to abide by the contract terms he's otherwise agreed to. And that gives us a kind of clean hands, high level position to say no when Elon Musk is asking for these things. I probably would have highlighted this and strengthened this and built this out, fleshed it out in this document where I in charge of Twitter's defense here. Twitter continues here by discussing whether or not it had the right to ask for explanations with what Elon Musk wanted to do with the information he was asking for. They say that they admit, as permitted under the merger agreement, that it sought clarity about why Musk believed the information he demanded was relevant to any permitted purpose under the merger agreement and asserts that Musk refused to provide any meaningful response. 
here, the same on both sides, I should point out, we have Twitter asserting something that the merger agreement doesn't appear to say. Right, so the information requirement here does require Elon Musk to only be asking for information for a reasonable business purpose related to the consummation of the transactions contemplated by this agreement. That implies for good faith and fair dealing purposes that Twitter can do a check on that, can say, okay, how is this a reasonable business purpose? Could you please explain? That is permitted by the merger agreement insofar as it isn't prohibited by the merger agreement, but we find ourselves in the same kind of gray area in terms of describing this agreement and the rights that are afforded to us, whether we're Twitter, or Elon Musk. Yes, you can check that. And in the same language, I can check to make sure that your reps and warranties in the SEC section are true and correct as of the time you would propose to close. So as permitted is being used by either side in whatever fashion they choose to backstop what their position is. But while I do think Twitter can go check on these things, I don't think Elon Musk has a very strong responsibility to explain himself too fulsomely in those circumstances. And so if you believe Elon Musk uh, on this and give him the benefit of the doubt. I think this probably isn't a great uh, answer from Twitter on this particular question. We have more denials. Uh, we have a description of what was actually handed over on one of these, which is 30 days of historical power track archive data when Elon Musk didn't otherwise describe it very much. We then have one of the more interesting paragraphs that a number of people commented on when we went over uh, this document initially. Twitter did not provide the true fire hose, claims Elon Musk. Instead, a Twitter engineering team with no day-to-day -day responsibility for the fire hose or related tools and interfaces created a different partial data set and misleadingly named that data set Twitter fire hose internal. Twitter's engineers configured that mislabeled data set to make machine analysis largely unusable and to give Twitter a backdoor into tracking the Musk party's analysis. Twitter denies the allegations of the first sentence of paragraph 98. Twitter did not provide the true firehose. So they say they did uh, eventually. And I think that's part of what the parties have agreed to here, but we're talking about something else in this particular paragraph. Twitter asserts that it provided defendants access to a data set and that pursuant to the party's agreement, such data set was not the firehose of all public tweets and likes. This is interesting. This describes a different universe, right? And I think this is one of the more damning paragraphs against Twitter, because if they actually went so far as to name something Firehose internal, and it was deceptive in some fashion, you've got all sorts of unclean hands things that kind of accrue against Twitter. Twitter's answer isn't super strong. Sure, we deny that we didn't provide the true Firehose eventually, but we do say, hey, we gave you a data set. We don't talk about what we called it. We otherwise deny the allegations kind of in a generic umbrella form, but you've been so specific about your denials so far, Twitter, that this does raise questions, or at least my eyebrows, as to what happened here. I would love some more clarity as to what Elon Musk asked for, what the party's agreement was, what he got, how Twitter built it, and whether or not there were some, well, legal term of art, shenanigans. Twitter asserts that the process it employs for calculating MDAU is set out in its SEC filings. Twitter admits that it offered to meet with Musk on multiple occasions and admits that Musk declined to meet, demonstrating no actual interest in learning about Twitter's estimation of false or spam accounts prevalence within MDAU. Musk is all pretextual. He didn't even meet with us when we offered to meet with him. Don't think it's the worst argument in the world for Twitter. Twitter otherwise denies the allegations and in particular expressly denies that it pretended to have misunderstood the Musk party's ever-changing information requests. All of this characterization, Your Honor, all of it's wrong. The Musk parties later determined in Elon Musk's countersuit that the various historical enterprise APIs and other interfaces to which Twitter provided access 
excluded tweets from accounts that had since been suspended. That is, it was impossible to analyze these data sets to determine what percentage of users were spam because the data was sanitized of all the spam accounts that Twitter had suspended. Twitter's response? Twitter admits that it detects and removes spam from its platform, and that as a result, accounts suspended for spam behavior do not exist in Twitter's historical enterprise APIs, which are commercial products built for Twitter's customer needs. So they are admitting that this particular data set also isn't useful to what Elon Musk wanted to analyze. So you do get into that question. Elon Musk is asking for information. He says in his countersuit, he can't figure out the magic words. He and his counsel, his representatives, can't figure out the magic words to ask them for what they need. They ask for enterprise APIs. They get something that's worthless. They ask for the fire hose. They get something that's worthless. And you can see at least a world in which Elon Musk is frustrated and trying to get this information legitimately, and he's not getting it from Twitter. Twitter says, no, no, we're handing over everything. But in at least a portion of these answers, you get, oh, yeah, we, we handed over this stuff. But yeah, no, it doesn't doesn't have any spam in it, so you can't analyze it that way. And it raises all these questions. Was that a response to the spam and fraudulent analysis that Musk wanted to be doing? If it was, why did you give him that information? Is that what he asked for? All sorts of questions there. Then we get into some interesting fights about how MDAU actually works. And this is the quarterly reported average concept. So Twitter asserts that it defines monetizable daily active users uh, or usage as people, organizations, or other accounts who logged in and were otherwise authenticated uh, and that are able to be shown ads, right? After Twitter determines an account is spam, malicious automation, or fake, Twitter stops counting it in MDAU. Twitter says they disclose all this publicly. Thus, to the extent an account was not suspended for certain days during a quarter and was able to see ads on those days, that account would not be retroactively removed from the MDAU count for those days, once an account is suspended and thus no longer able to see ads, Twitter does not count the MDAU on a going forward basis. So Elon Musk is at least somewhat right here, right? So they frame it as follows. Shockingly, on the call, Twitter's CFO revealed that Twitter knowingly includes a significant number of accounts that it has already suspended for being false or spam as of the end of the quarter in its quarterly reported average MDAU because they're averaging out their MDAU for each day during the quarter. What Twitter is saying here is even though we might find that an account is fake or maliciously automated, right? And they, they want to allow bots of certain kinds. Uh, even after we find that out, we don't go back and pull them from the numbers that are going into the math that is making up our average MDAU for that quarter. So they're using this to deny all of the allegations in paragraph 106. And yet this sure sounds like an admittance, right? They say this is the issue. Twitter says, well, we take them out after we find them, uh, but we don't remove them from the averaging, which means that accounts that they know are malicious bots or otherwise fake are making up a portion of their average number per quarter. Like that's just what's happening. At least if I understand at all what Twitter is describing here. If you have a different take on it, please do let me know in the comments to this video, but it sure sounds like Elon Musk is right. And Twitter's actually gonna back this down a little bit by saying, yes, sure, but it's not a big enough number. Some of those aren't fake, etc., etc." Twitter denies the allegations in the next paragraph, except that it admits that at defendant's request, Twitter increased the limit on the number of queries defendants could run on the APIs to which defendants had access. Twitter asserts that it provided Musk prior to his purported termination Data reflecting the determination made by Twitter as to every individual account in MDAU sampled and reviewed in the false or spam account estimation process for a particular period of time. 
As to API access, Twitter asserts that it initially provided defendants with the ability to run 100,000 queries per month, a rate consistent with the access that it customarily provides its commercial customers, and at defendants' request, Twitter thereafter increased the cap by a factor of 100 to 10 million queries per month. Now, I think Elon Musk has a decent point here to suggest that what Twitter should be providing on this, to the extent that they should be providing it, we can have that fight in a different space, shouldn't be what is limited to their commercial customers. This is the ostensible owner of the company. You should be getting him everything that you're technologically capable of getting him in this context. That is what is happening here with the informational requests. And so, yes, it's great that they increased it, uh, but it never should have been based around the concept of commercial customers. That's just wrong. Twitter asserts that it provided Musk access to all the information required under the merger agreement. Big fight on what information is required and more, notwithstanding his disregard of his confidentiality obligations and his threats to launch a competitor, which pops up from time to time in this document. Twitter denies that it provided misleading partial information in any respect. Twitter asserts that all of its disclosures are accurate, that it employs a rigorous process for estimating the prevalence of false or spam accounts within MDAU, and that it has accurately disclosed its MDAU and other metrics in all material respects. Everything is 100% fine with our SEC documents. We deny that our security filings make any representation as to the number of false or spam accounts on its platform. Again, really? You deny the entire concept of a representation there because we've included this estimation language? I just don't think that would fly if that number were really different from that 5% threshold. Twitter asserts that these disclosures accurately describe the good faith process Twitter employs to estimate the prevalence of false or spam accounts with an NDAU. We have the footnote where Musk says he's using the University of Indiana, Indiana's Botometer, and they say, insofar as defendants rely on the Botometer for their analysis of spam, Twitter asserts that the Botometer's own FAQ website cautions that bot detection is a hard task, and that if it were easy to do with software, there wouldn't be any bots. Twitter would have already caught and banned them. Okay. Twitter further asserts that in May 2022, Protocol.com reported that the Botometer indicated that Elon Musk's own Twitter account was likely a bot, scoring at a four out of five. Now, Outside of the fact that I don't know whether that is the actual threshold they were using for establishing what bots are, and outside of the fact that they just used at Twitter a FAQ and then a protocol.com article about a separate item and not its own primary material, so all of this is kind of weak sauce already, that is a good gotcha, right? That thing that you said you're using, it thinks you're a bot, Elon. What do you think about that? It's not accurate. It should be disregarded entirely. I don't know if that's fair for what this thing is. I can't tell you whether the botometer is at all useful, but they have a number of issues with it, including that Twitter denies that applying the botometer to firehose data is a reliable measure of the prevalence of false or spam accounts in MDAU. Twitter asserts that the botometer describes itself as a machine learning algorithm trained to calculate a score where low scores indicate likely human accounts and high scores indicate likely bot accounts. The botometer thus does not even purport to apply Twitter's definition of a false or spam account. In fact, some bots like those that report earthquakes as they happen or updates on the weather are often helpful and permissible under Twitter's platform manipulation and spam policy to which Twitter respectfully refers the court. Now that's interesting because we're talking about MDAUs. I would assume that those wouldn't find themselves into the MDAU category because the earthquake bot can't get ads or if it does get ads, they're not terribly useful to whoever's selling the product. The earthquake bot probably not interested in perfumes or Subway sandwiches. Uh, and so I think we're kind of maybe sliding around the actual issue here. Uh, but nonetheless, Twitter says some bots are okay. So if the botometer comes up with just a generic bot number, that isn't as useful as it otherwise could be. 
Moreover, defendants have not indicated what score they are applying to conclude an account constitutes spam. Thus, their allegation is unverifiable. And I highlighted this because, again, okay, Twitter, you make a good point. Elon Musk's preferred methodology here probably isn't verifiable, isn't otherwise super useful. Why? Because you say he doesn't have the data he needs because the fire hose isn't useful. He's using a tool that is inaccurate and he didn't set the standards or otherwise explain to you how his methodology works. And at some level, I think you're absolutely right, Twitter. At another level, I think, well, isn't that exactly what Elon Musk is complaining about with you? Now he could be lying, right? You could have turned over every bit of information on earth and that'll win you the case. Uh, but if you're not, and if you aren't giving the right data, and if you aren't establishing things, what are the thresholds? What are the things that he needs to understand what your process is? This response is actually a little bit damning because this is exactly what Elon Musk says is happening from his direction to yours. And you're saying, look, you don't tell me any of this stuff. How can I even tell whether or not your number is accurate? And he says, yep, exactly. We got a lot of blanks here because mostly they're just denies. Hey, we're not evil. Twitter discloses all of what it does publicly. Thus, to the extent an account was not suspended for certain days during a quarter and thus was able to see ads on those days, that account would not be retroactively removed from the MDAU count for those days. Now, that's interesting in itself because Twitter says, hey, some of them aren't fake. Some of them are otherwise complying with the rules and then they get suspended. But to the extent they are fake, this makes no logical sense whatsoever, right? We've got a fake account. It somehow slips through our dragnet of a million prohibitions every day or what have you. And it's operating for a couple of months. It's included in our MDAU number. We figure out it's fake and we can't go back and pull it out of that data for the average we are going to use. And if that compounds and compounds and compounds and compounds, how off is your data for that quarter? I think that's a legitimate concern based on what is described here. And your argument that it isn't doesn't hold water logically with me. Now, I'm not on the hook for $44 billion, but I'm just saying, hey, you should have a way to go and say, hey, they've been fake the whole time. We shouldn't be charging or telling investors that that was a monetizable user through the quarter that we're going to be reporting in just because it's difficult to do. That's kind of the job. Twitter asserts that the impact of accounts subsequently suspended in the quarter on average quarterly MDAU is under a million for each of quarter one of 2021 and quarter one of 2022. It's only a million. And since the quarterly average was 197 million or 229 million, well, that's a de minimis issue. And they might be right there. I still think it's a bad methodology for what they say they have done. They also say suspended accounts that may have been counted with an MDAU in days prior to suspension are eligible to be sampled for estimating false or spam accounts. So we'll still find them. We'll still find them. Twitter admits that it believes its approach to calculating MDAU is justified. Sure. Then they go on to describe it. Twitter asserts that it suspends accounts for multiple reasons, only one of which is that the account is false or spam. Accounts can be suspended for violating Twitter's rules, which violations, including violations related to spammy behavior, can be committed by humans who were, prior to their account suspension, capable of seeing and engaging with ads. Who knows? Furthermore, suspended accounts may have been engaged in legitimate behavior before they were compromised, before they were turned into bots. I guess before they were turned into bot accounts. Uh, and yes, those are all true, but note the hypothetical language that Twitter starts using. Again, if we're giving Elon Musk the benefit of the doubt, and I think you'll note as we go through these documents, my tendency is to give the other side that isn't talking the benefit of the doubt because they can't otherwise defend themselves uh, in this particular context. If we think Elon Musk is telling at least a modicum of the truth, this is the kind of language when you're talking about hypotheticals. Hey, we suspend things for all sorts of reasons, and they could have been people before they were bots. Who knows? We don't know. That does give me pause. It does sound like, what kind of fly-by-night operation are you, you running here? 
Uh, and just in this description alone, I can imagine a scenario in which this kind of paragraph is said in a closed door meeting to Elon Musk, and that does raise his red flags, right? So just having this out here in the document, and you don't have to believe Elon Musk, believe me, I've got my own issues with how he's operated on all this and how he uses Twitter and everything else. You don't have to believe Elon Musk, but I can imagine a scenario in which this type of thing is described to me and I go, you what now? And then that raises this whole process up if that's told to me on May 6th, like he at least claims happened. Twitter denies the allegations of paragraph 126 to the extent they attempt to compare statements made by Twitter about average MDAU with data concerning total accounts counted in MDAU at least in one quarter. Twitter asserts that as Musk is aware, Twitter's estimation of false and spam accounts prevalence within MDAU each quarter is derived from a sample population that has already been subjected to the spam detection and suspension process. And we assert that our CEO publicly tweeted a detailed explanation of our spam detection and removal efforts, which included the use of both automated and human review and of Twitter's separate process for estimating the percentage of false or spam accounts in quarterly MDAU. Now, how did you reply to that, Mr. Musk? Twitter asks on May 16th, 2022. Mr. Musk publicly replied to that tweet thread with a poop emoji. A poop emoji, Your Honor. Why are we even here? Twitter further asserts that as a basic statistical matter, the approximately 9,000 account samples Twitter reviews of accounts included in MDAU each quarter is sufficiently sized to extrapolate across the MDAU population. So we got all this covered. He's making stuff up as we have claimed this entire time. Twitter admits that it ended its employment relationship with an individual without seeking defendant's consent as permitted under the merger agreement, legal assertion that'll be fought about in court. Twitter asserts that it has never represented that all MDAUs see ads every day, that all MDAUs drive revenue equally. To the contrary, Twitter has disclosed that MDAU and their level of engagement with advertising are critical to the company's success. Again, we're back in the land where I think Elon Musk's arguments are really weak that he would simply replace his reality with Twitter's or his judgment for theirs. And that's not going to hold water. Twitter's allowed to run the company. They want to run it. They're not in error. They're not lying because they don't run it exactly how Elon Musk would have were he in charge of Twitter 10 years ago. Twitter denies the allegations of this paragraph to the extent they imply that the internal data provided to Musk demonstrates that more than 65 million accounts counted in MDAU in quarter one did not see any ads in that quarter. Now, it's interesting, right? This is some of his strong stuff in terms of his assertions. I don't think they're particularly strong in terms of legal impact, but he says, hey, look, a third of the 229 million uh, reported for that quarter didn't see ads. They deny that. They say in quarter one, 2022, there were significantly more than 229 million accounts that contributed to Twitter's average quarterly MDAU. So that's interesting, right? We're talking about math now, and we've said, hey, lawyers and math, but they're saying, at least in different accounts, there's a number that's a lot more than 229 to get you to that average of quarterly MDAUs uh, per day, right? And so if that number is a lot higher, you're doing the math wrong by just sucking 65 million out of a 229 number. That number should be more. It's not as bad as you are otherwise saying. Therefore, even though not every account in MDAU sees ads on a given day, far more accounts see ads in a quarter than the allegations of your paragraph imply. I'm inclined to believe them on this stuff because I think Elon Musk's math sounds too simple, but I cannot pretend to be able to adjudge this stuff without at least some of the underlying math presented to me. Twitter further denies that it is shocking that some portion of MDAU on any given day do not see ads. Twitter asserts that it has never represented that all accounts in quarterly average MDAU see ads every day, and it has explained to Musk that there are several legitimate and intentional business reasons why an account in MDAU may not see an ad. For example, Twitter does not typically show ads to accounts in the days after creation. They like to be your social media dealer. We don't got ads at all here. 
Come on in. Tweet to your heart's content. No ads at all. We don't show anybody anything for a few days after you start your account. What a great and glorious ad-free place we have here. And just little by little, you get more and more ads in your Twitter timeline. Twitter denies the allegations in paragraph 139 and asserts that it is disclosed that some accounts in MDAU generate more revenue than others. Twitter respectfully refers the court to, for example, its quarter one 2022 earnings release, where it discloses that while less than 20% of its MDAU reside in the United States, it generates over 50% of its advertising revenue from the United States. Yep, I think they have the better part of this entire set of arguments. Twitter does not break MDAU into the various groups alleged by defendants. These are concepts invented by defendants for purposes of the counterclaims. I agree, Twitter. Twitter asserts that it is well understood that different users have various levels of engagement with the platform and that the same users may have various levels of engagement from day to day. Twitter denies that it seeks to indiscriminately maximize total MDU or that it portrays a story in which all MDU are contributing materially to the company's ad engagement and revenues and asserts that accounts in MDAU, including accounts not currently generating substantial revenue for Twitter, present opportunities for future growth. I like this as snark, right? Your Twitter. Elon Musk has just said, look at all these monetizable users that aren't making you money. You say, you're an entrepreneur, Elon Musk. You understand how businesses work. So in your response to paragraph 140, you say, uh, we would like to assert uh, that having someone in the user base engaged with the platform, even if they don't pay money today, might pay money in the future. Are you familiar with the concept, Mr. Musk? And I have to say, in terms of business snark in this answer, I do love it, right? Yes, we assert that even people that don't pay right now could be valuable in the future is basically how you run a business, right? So especially a free-to-play one like Twitter or like a lot of video games today. Twitter denies that it concealed anything or that its disclosures were in any way misleading. Twitter further asserts that new accounts present opportunities for future growth, as we just talked about, even as the accounts of more established users or those in more established geographies may on average generate greater revenue per account. Twitter respectfully refers the court to its SEC's disclosures, which make clear that MDAU growth is not uniform and could differ in general or in certain geographies or among certain groups. We have more denials here as we get into more of the quote-unquote misrepresentations. Twitter admits that on April 28th, 2022, it provided updated values for the MDAU from the fourth quarter of 2020 to the fourth quarter of 2021, but they only changed less than 1%, so we're back to that particular issue. They didn't restate them. They just updated them. We see again the human verification process and the CAPTCHAs for spam. Twitter avers that it applies rigorous processes for detecting and removing spam accounts from its platform. We deny Elon Musk's assertion that we don't do these various things. We deny everything else. And Twitter admits that its business is complex. Sure. Twitter denies the allegations of paragraph 165, except that it admits the existence of a security suit against it that such suit settled in September of 2021, and it was for $809 million, which is a big amount of money for a securities suit. So Elon Musk is trying to bring up here that they've got problems with their reporting and otherwise that are in existence. That's kind of neither here nor there. So that's not going to make the difference in this particular case. Twitter otherwise lacks knowledge or information sufficient to form a belief as to the truth of the allegations in the first sentence regarding Morgan Stanley's business model. Now, remember what I said earlier, it's been a long time, I know, that it was odd that Twitter didn't say this, that we don't have any idea what Morgan Stanley based their model on. In this section where they're talking about the representations being material, they say that a bunch of times. Uh, we lack information about Morgan Stanley. We lack information about Morgan Stanley, et cetera, et cetera. Twitter denies that Twitter's SEC filings were in any way false or that the defendants relied upon Twitter's SEC filings in the manner alleged. Twitter asserts that defendants invented their allegations with respect to reliance for purposes of these counterclaims. They use that a lot, right? They're just completely lying about all of this. 
The first sentence of paragraph 172 mischaracterizes Twitter's SEC filings, which make clear that it is engagement with ads itself and not MDAU alone that generates a substantial majority of Twitter's revenue. They are mischaracterizing us, Your Honor. We deny all of this in paragraph 174, except to admit that if Musk once again publicizes false and misleading statements concerning Twitter, that actionable conduct could mislead the market and impact Twitter's share price. Right, so here you have the, the saber rattling, the kind of threats, at least implicit, that Elon says, look, if any of this were to come up, that could really damage the value of the company. Twitter says we deny all of this, except that if Elon Musk goes out there with this crap some more, then not only is it actionable because he's deliberately attacking the company in a false way, according to Twitter, but that it could in fact damage the company. And this is their kind of response volley to what is this implicit threat. This is an implicit threat right back at him. And they include that in a couple of places in these sections. Uh, Defendants have not even attempted to allege that Twitter suffered a material adverse event between January and April because it did not. I do know that that is true. They deny a bunch of other stuff here. And then we get into the India lawsuit. If you recall this from looking at the countersuit itself, uh, Elon Musk is asserting, alleging that Twitter sued in India uh, for India trying to attack Twitter's platform in some fashion. And that is operating outside of the ordinary course of business. So first, Twitter denies that India is its third largest market. Twitter admits that it did not contact Elon Musk regarding its interactions with the Indian government and asserts that defendants did not cite as a purported basis for termination the publicly reported dispute over blocking orders issued by the Indian government until filing the counterclaims. This was public knowledge, Your Honor. They knew about this. This wasn't a part of their termination document at all. Twitter admits that it brought a legal challenge against the Indian government, respectively refers the court to its July 5th, 2022 petition on that matter. Twitter asserts that it has challenged certain blocking orders issued by the Indian government under their Information Act. Twitter further asserts that its legal challenge is consistent with its global practice of challenging government requests or laws where such requests are not authorized or properly scoped under local law, are procedurally deficient, or as necessary to defend its users' rights, including freedom of expression. A couple of interesting things happening here. First and foremost of which is, this is an ordinary course of business challenge, right? We've pulled up this section a bunch of times, but Twitter is allowed to do things that it would have otherwise done if this deal weren't going through. The ordinary course of business, just operating as they have in the past. So what they try to assert right here is that it's consistent with what we always do. We always sue over this stuff. The other aspect of this that's important is they frame it exactly against what Elon Musk's at least public facing philosophy is, which is about freedom of expression, right? Elon Musk, are you really going to try to win this case by suggesting that we should bend over for India on their trying to block freedom of expression when we're trying to defend that freedom that you say is so very important to the operation of Twitter? And rhetorically, I think that's a home run. I think that's a slam dunk for Twitter on this stuff. Twitter admits also that several executives announced their departures following the announcement of Twitter's transaction with defendants, and also that Twitter ended its employment relationships with certain executives. Twitter admits that it is determined to slow its hiring in light of the macroeconomic environment in line with Twitter's past actions. So trying to say it's an ordinary course eh, and Musk's stated priorities that it announced on July 7th that it was reducing the size of its recruiting staff by about 30%, which I don't think is ordinary course at all. And it did not and was not obligated to give advance notice of these decisions to defend it. I think personally that the reduction in recruiting staff size by 30% is way outside of ordinary course. This is the kind of thing that I think could potentially work in Elon Musk's favor. Again, depending on how all the chips that are in play, and there's hundreds at this point, wind up falling out. I don't know that it's a slam dunk winner for him, but it is the kind of thing where I think you have to listen to what Elon Musk is complaining about. 
Twitter further asserts that in its continuing effort to make its services available to people everywhere, if it receives a valid and appropriately scoped request from an authorized entity, it may withhold access to certain content in the specified jurisdiction, but that it will fight these things like it did in India. We've got a big paragraph that isn't that important about Egon Durban's no nomination to the board of directors, him not getting elected by the shareholders, them accepting, not accepting such resignation, and then they wanted to seek Elon Musk's consent to allow that resignation, which isn't a part of Elon Musk's story and raises some questions here. Again, I think this is a little bit of them throwing things at the wall, the Elon Musk side. So I think Twitter's probably got the better part of this as well. Uh, Musk refused to grant consent without explanation on that retention plan. He gave explanations in his countersuit. Twitter says they never told them why he was otherwise denying it. Twitter admits that it did not seek consent from defendants before certain employees decided to terminate their employment because neither Twitter nor the defendants have a right to bar employees from voluntarily terminating employment. Yes, that's that's true. Twitter further admits that it did not provide defendants notice or seek defendants consent before taking certain employment-related actions or initiating a suit against the Indian government. We didn't ask. Twitter asserts that the Musk parties have failed to respond to several additional requests for consent. Uh, we've got that said in a couple of different ways. They're talking about now the financial team. Bob Swan, we saw departed. Uh, Elon Musk says Antonio Gracias was added to the team. Here, Twitter says, defendants fired Mr. Swan abruptly without explanation. Mr. Gracias never contacted Twitter or its advisors during the nine days between his nominal appointment and defendants purported termination of the merger agreement. This was fake, Your Honor. Antonio Gracias was never actually working on this deal says Twitter. And then by the time you get to the counts of action in this particular case, Twitter denies them all. Denied, 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 denied. And then they state their affirmative defenses. We looked at this in the answers to Elon Musk. They are as you would expect. Elon Musk has failed to state a claim that the court can actually offer redress for. Twitter has complied in all material respects with the merger agreement. So what would the counterclaims even be? By the terms of the merger agreement, he's not permitted to terminate because he's in breach. Oh, the fourth defense, he's in breach. The fifth defense, he hasn't suffered any harm. Now, I don't think that one plays because if he were to be forced to buy the company, certainly that would be harm if he was otherwise entitled to terminate. Twitter has not suffered and is not likely to suffer material adverse effect, maybe. Rule 9b, he failed to properly plead a fraud case. Uh, that's what 9b is. Uh, counterclaims are barred because defendants failed to identify any false or misleading statement by Twitter. We didn't lie about anything. Uh, if that doesn't hold, how about the ninth defense? Twitter did not know and was not reckless in not knowing in the exercise of its reasonable care that there was a false and misleading statement. You can't hold it against us because we didn't know about it. I don't think that works. They didn't rely on our false or misleading statement. You saw that covered in a couple of places in this answer document. Uh, defendants counterclaims are barred because any alleged false or misleading statement wasn't material. So we got, we didn't lie about it. We didn't know about it. They didn't rely on it. It didn't matter if they did. And also they have unclean hands. We don't trust Elon Musk, do we? Latches, waiver, estoppel, and quasi-estoppel go with that unclean hands concept. This is a bad actor. They should not get the equitable powers and defense of the court system. Also, Delaware law governs this, not Texas law. And so that's a correction. That'll probably actually play in terms of what is applicable to this particular case. And that is 127 pages of Twitter answers to Elon Musk's countersuit. So an hour and 45 minutes or so in, what do you all think? We have now read through all of the material documents between these two parties. We've identified the major areas of concern, which are, is this representation for SEC documents sufficient to cover the MDAU fake and spam accounts concept? 
Is Elon Musk legitimate in asking for the information that he asked for? If he is legitimate in that, did Twitter adequately respond to those information requests? Or in delivering information that could never meet his needs, did they effectively prevent him from having to close this deal because he could never ever verify that the representation, specifically the SEC one, was true at the time of closing? Does Twitter actually get away with putting this big paragraph in their SEC documents and saying, we never said it was 5%, said it could be any number. I don't think that actually plays for numbers sufficiently distant from 5%, but do you think it works for Twitter in this particular context? What is ordinary course of business? Is it in the ordinary course, for instance, to have something like a hiring slowdown or hiring freeze? Is it the ordinary course of business to fire 30% of your recruiting department at Twitter, are these things allowed? Does it matter that you negotiated out a more specific prohibition on specific hirings and firings of individual at the executive level? All these questions sit before the court and it's gonna be fun to follow it here in virtual reality or elsewhere. So let me know in the comments what you think of the strength of the arguments of both Elon Musk's side and Twitter's side. And thank you so much for hanging out with me this long in virtual legality. If you like this content, please do check out ways to support the channel. We cannot do it without viewers and listeners like you. We've got a Utreon where most of the resources come to us. We've got a Patreon if you like that platform better. And I do want to thank once again, Lady Emily for supporting this channel with her support on Utreon. Thank you so much, Lady Emily. If you aren't interested in either of those methods, just subscribing, telling your friends, ringing bells, upvotes, downvotes, putting this on forum posts, talking about it in other contexts, every little bit helps. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.